There's more than 2 million podcasts, I think, right now in Apple Podcasts. And would you ever say there are bazillions of books or movies or TV shows, so don't write another one? You, you wouldn't. I think we're possibly the only talkback podcast, the place where you call us and say, uh, fill me in, please. The first thing I kind of go is, okay, well, what's your idea? And if it is my friends and I are hilarious when we've had a few wines and I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. You don't have a podcast, you have a support system. Oh, such good advice, but harsh. (laughs) It is, I know, I'm so sorry. I am really, I have very sharp scissors. My name is Rachel Fountain and I'm a podcast executive producer. And today I'm going to give you a masterclass in turning your ideas into a podcast series. Hello and welcome to season two of the Masterclass podcast. I'm Louisa Lim, and I teach podcasting at the University of Melbourne. Every episode, we're going to have a master of podcasting talking about one aspect of the craft. This week, we're talking with Rachel Fountain about how to turn your ideas into a podcast series. She's a podcast producer at Deadset Studios, and she was formerly the executive producer at ABC Audio Studios. There, she developed podcasts like Days Like These, The Pineapple Project, and Mindfully. I began by asking Rachel about that thing that must happen to her all the time with people coming up to her going, oh, I've got this really great idea for a podcast series. And I wanted to know when people say that to her, what's the mental checklist that she runs down? It's so funny. It does happen all the time. And journos are the worst because we all kind of think that we have one. (laughs) Um, The first thing I kind of go is, okay, well, what's your idea? And if it is, my friends and I are hilarious when we've had a few wines and I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) You don't have a podcast, you have a support system. (laughs) But the next thing I go through is, okay, so what's the idea? And what I want to know is, do you have a really, really clear idea of about four things? The first thing that I want to know is, do you know who this podcast is for? Do you know who the audience is? Or is this just kind of like, oh, you know what? I listened to Joe Rogan and um, I kind of reckon I could do what he could do. So having an idea of who the podcast is for, that that is like the number one thing uh, that I think of, first of all. That's so interesting that you put audience ahead of content even. Why is that? They're right up there together. So, but but it's a it's a market approach, I guess. So, I'm I come from a journalism background, but the ways that I have been taught to make podcasts are to go, okay, work out what doesn't exist out there and then create it. So, once we've got an idea and we know that there's going to be an audience for it, then you go about creating this incredible thing. There are occasionally just ideas that are so good and so you know, so beautiful or that are so worth telling um, in the story that that it's worth doing them regardless of whether there's going to be a big audience or not. And, and you don't have to have a big audience. You just have to kind of know who it's for. Um, so I think once you know who the audience is, it just helps you frame everything else. I think it might have been Mark Fennell who was talking to you about the North Star, and that's, that's a concept that I use all the time when I'm making content. You know, just right now I was scripting something with a colleague and we were scripting a trailer for something and we were like, okay, well, we're going back to who is this for? Oh, okay, well, 
well, if this is for other journalists, this is what they'll want to hear and this is how we want to talk to them. So it plays into everything right throughout the whole series. It doesn't have to be, you know, a massive audience. It doesn't have to be a blockbuster success, but it just gives you so much clarity on what you're making and and how you do it. And the other thing that I kind of use, which is, it's it sounds like a marketing trick, but it just works really well, is I think not only who is the audience, I think what job is this podcast going to do for that audience? So, you know, when the pandemic first hit, there was a really big upswing in people kind of listening to news. We couldn't get enough. We just needed to know everything. And then a couple of months in, what we saw were the numbers totally changed. People were kind of still maybe listening to a bit of live radio. They were still listening to CoronaCast and niche interests, but they wanted things that would take them away and take them to a different world. So it, it when you know who the podcast is for, you can kind of think about what they might be using it for and then tailor your content to that. And I usually think about it, does this podcast do two of three things at least? Is it the kind of thing that will make my audience, the one that I've got in my mind, will it make them feel smarter? Will it make them feel more connected? So, like, will it give them a sense of community? Or am I listening to that because I feel like it's my friends talking? Um, Or will it take me away to another world? I mean, you were talking about how the podcast landscape changed last year. And that was when you launched Mindfully, isn't it? Mindfully as a series is was something that I made for the ABC, right? And I've uh, played every role on that show except host, but I sort of had produced it. I'd been supervising producer. I'd been the EP of it. And we had put out a bunch of different seasons and they're just short podcasts led led by Smiling Mind, an anonymous guy who kind of talks you through, you know, there's different ones. There's body scans. There's other ones that are focused on gratitude or whatever. So they're all meditation podcasts. All meditation podcasts. Um, so we actually had a bunch of co- content that was already out for Mindfully. But when the pandemic hit, we thought, wow, this is actually the content people are going to want right now. And so what we did was we, we like really quickly put out a new season called Mindfully Corona Calm. And it was uh, went absolutely gangbusters. It had always been a relatively popular series, but this show, people immediately went, oh, wow, that's what I need and I need it in this moment. Let's hear, um, I think we've got the trailer to that. Hey, if you've been feeling like the world's a pretty weird and stressful place right now, you are not alone. I'm Lisa Miller, and the ABC wants to bring you just a little bit of calm in the midst of coronavirus. Here at the ABC, we've handpicked eight of our best meditation and mindfulness exercises to help you stay calm in the middle of all the uncertainty. Every week for the next eight weeks, we'll bring you a specially chosen episode of Mindfully straight into your ears. All you have to do is find a comfortable spot, breathe and listen. If you're new to meditation and mindfulness, this is an easy place to start. There's no equipment, it's completely free, and it will take less than 10 minutes a day. How achievable! So whether you're self-isolating, caring for others, just about at the end of your tether from being cooped up and working from home, or you just want to carve out a few minutes of time to help clear your head, this season of Mindfully is for you. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so you get a fresh meditation each week. Mindfully is made in partnership between the ABC and Smiling Mind. The world needs more kindness. Why not start by being kind to yourself? 
just so calming even to listen to. I mean, you were clearly thinking that your audience was full of people who were just losing it. They were, and we were all losing it. We were all, it was that first kind of week of everybody working from home. We'd gone from at ABC Audio Studios, everything being done in a studio. Unless it was a field scene, nothing was ever, ever done remotely unless that was part of the story um, to this kind of idea of having to make podcasts of the same quality from home. And so we were like, Lisa Miller was in the building at South Bank and we were, we knew, we're like, that's the voice that we need for this. So we kind of set out to go, we know what people need right now. They need this sense of connection connection and calm and that other that other space. So yeah, this show gave us a couple of those things and people people really needed it. They really used it. If you've just got kind of the nub of an idea or someone comes to you and they have the nub of an idea. So they say, I don't know, I want to do a podcast about, I don't know, finance for university students. How would you work with them to kind of develop that idea? Firstly, I think it's a really good idea. There's already a lot of, there are a lot of um, finance podcasts out there, but I actually think one for uni students is great. I'd go through those steps. I'd go, okay, well, first of all, we know who the audience is. You've got your university students. And then I would say, do we have for this show a brief about exactly what it is? Is it finance in terms of everyday finance? Is it kind of like lifelong, I want to buy a house finance? Is there a remit for this? And the other thing I would think would be, okay, I want to see from you before we go into production on this and we commission it, I'd like to see what at least the first six episodes are going to be. I want you to tell me what, what does this show sound like, first of all? I mean, is it is it hosted? Is it it's something where a couple of people sit there and talk? And I want to know what the topics are. And beyond that, I want to hear what the format for the show is as well, which is kind of a real, that's a really big one for me. People can be, can have a really great idea, which is kind of this big, vague topic. And you think, yeah, that's actually something that, you know, millennials care about or Gen Z or university students or whatever. But until you drill down and go, okay, this is what, these are the episodes that I think we need to do. And this is why. And you sketch out a plan for the episodes. You don't have a podcast yet. So are there any kind of formats where you go, we don't need another conversation show or something? Are there any formats that don't work? I don't know. There's more than 2 million podcasts, I think, right now in the Apple store, in, in Apple podcasts. And there's that funny thing, which is like, okay, would you ever say there are bazillions of books or movies or TV shows, so don't write another one? You you wouldn't. So I don't know. If you've got something to say, go out and say it. I would say if the reason for doing it is just because you kind of want to have a podcast and have a think about that because it's a lot of work. <laughs> so much work. <laughs> it's so much work. You know this, Louisa. Uh, yeah, so I would say, I mean, two people sitting around talking is not a format. That's just two people sitting around talking and recording it. So a format is something where you can get your teeth into it, you know. Like um, this is a show that I listen to because I just think it is it's so funny still and I'm, I don't know if I'm up to date with the latest series but my dad wrote a porno. That is a show where I can say to you, oh, I listened to this podcast the other day. It's hilarious. It's this guy, his dad's written a porno and he reads it to his friends and then they rip it apart. Like that, that is absolutely a format that you can go, okay, hang your hat on that. It's something new. And it also tends to be something that you can kind of go, if you were in the commercial world, I could sell the IP to that. I could say, hey, this is my idea, actually. And it's not just like, oh, um, I kind of want to do an investigation into, um, 
I don't know, like some issues. Like you need to have a really good idea about how it's going to sound. We made a show called The Pineapple Project and in that show it's a style of show which is kind of a show where you learn. So it's an, it's an explainer show, but it's also uh, it's it's also got a really tight format, which has since been copied quite a lot. Actually, you've got a comedian where you have you always have a scene that brings you in to the show, and then from the scene you've got a problem, and we set up the problem, and then we the host is on this curious journey, and then she's looking to solve the problem for herself, and we speak to experts, and there are a couple other characters involved. And then at the end, there's a solution and we kind of round it back up for you and give you tips and we do it all in a way that's not really threatening and teaches you a bit about money or work or or death or whatever the season might be. So, yeah, it's about really going, okay, well, what does every episode have that sets this show apart? That's the format. I thought maybe I'll ask you to talk about a particular example again. I think you EP'd the parenting spectrum, didn't you? I did, I did. And that was, um, it's a really funny example because it had three EPs shifting across the the life of the show because of just various movements and somebody had a baby and then, you know, I moved into a different thing. So uh, Joel Werner, Monique Bowley and myself were the EPs of that show. I don't know if you remember this, but ABC, a few years back, there was the whole big thing about a million bucks where there was a million dollars for podcasts. And so hundreds of thousands of, well, probably tens of thousands of pitches came in for shows. And a lot of them were like, I've got this idea. My friends and I are hilarious. You need to make this show because we are the best. Um, Or it was kind of like, I know, let's investigate murder. This show, when it came in, I still I still remember talking to Monique Bowley, who was the EP of it when when I sort of took over that, that process. She said that the thing that got her was that reading this email from Fee and Trav, who are the parents, who are the hosts of the show, it was like being hit with like a large emotional object. It took the breath out of it took the breath out of her lungs because they had written in and said, look, we don't think there are enough podcasts out there for families who are, have autism. And we don't think that there are enough shows about families in general, about how to deal with this. So the first sentence, she was like, okay, it sounds like it could be interesting. Is it going to be a little bit worthy? Who's it for? And they were like, they came with data. They were like, this is who this show is for. This is the number of people who have um, an autistic family member. This is the number of people in the population who are autistic. There are no podcasts for this right now. So they said to us, you've got this huge portion of the population who's going to be interested in this show. And also, this is why you should make our podcast about it. They sent us this audio, which was them kind of being really super, super tired and up one night with Fee and Trav's son, Patch, who is autistic. But they, it, it was everything about this pitch was so perfectly visceral. They, they addressed the audience, they gave us backup data, and then they gave us an idea of how it would sound and said, hey, and here are the episodes that we think we should cover. Let's hear how it turned out sounding. Um, I'm going to play you the moment where Fiona and Travis, the parents of Patch, talk about how they found out he was on the autism spectrum. And the background is that he had always loved watching ceiling fans. He was kind of obsessed by just lying there as a baby watching them turn around. They didn't think anything special of it until one day. When he was about 15 months old, a childcare worker came up to me and asked me if I was concerned about Patch's obsession with fans, as she called it, and how he didn't seem to want to be around the other kids. 
and I tried to brush it off. That's just Patch. But I was really worried. I was really worried too. I remember a couple of weeks later, I was doing pickup, and Julie, I think her name was, repeated her concerns to me. And I'll never forget leaving the childcare centre with Patch, driving to your work feet and picking you up, and the two of us bawling our eyes out, not knowing what to do next. So, Trav, this is where we sat in the car the morning that Patch was diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Just before he turned two. And for years I couldn't actually drive past this spot without being taken straight back to that moment, just like now. It was the loneliest and most frightened I felt in my whole life. Patch was asleep in the car seat, oblivious to it all. You know, nothing had changed. And I had that going around in my head. He's the same child he was an hour ago. Our little boy who we love more than anything. I just felt like we'd lost so much control in our lives and there's just so much I would change now if I could go back in time. But I can't go back in time. But what I can do is continue to tell him how amazing he is because he's absolutely incredible. He's just had such a positive influence on our lives and he's like our teacher. You okay now? Yeah. It's actually good to come back here and get rid of some of those emotions because I just don't feel this way now. So that's just such a powerful moment. And, I mean, I guess I wonder... What advice do you give to people who want to do that kind of personal, intimate, confessional podcast? You know, can you go too far with that? Only you can know that. The beautiful thing about pods is that they're opt-in. Everybody who's going to listen to your show is choosing to listen to it. It's not because they jumped in the car at at a certain time and something was playing or, you know, you walked into a restaurant or a, a club back in the before times and things would be playing. They've sorted out and that's why it's so important to kind of have that connection. I would say do do think about how you'll feel once you've shared it because it makes you feel pretty vulnerable having put all of that sort of part of yourself out there. But that might be why you're doing it. Your, your reason for making this show might be I really want to tell this story about my family and I want to have a record. And in that case, maybe your audience is your family. And so you're kind of tailoring everything that you're making for that audience. So when I say to think about the audience, it doesn't have to be, okay, this is how I get a blockbuster show that gets picked up by Netflix and they turn it into, you know, it's like a dirty John that goes from podcasts through to TV. I mean, maybe it is if the story is good. But they, yeah, but I, but I think, oh, you can you go too far? I, I don't think so, except if it's too far for yourself because that authenticity and that visceral, like I feel my stomach is in knots, like when I, when I hear that and I hear it, Fee and Trav reliving that moment because they're so it's so many things it's that they're so happy with their life with Patch and they're so they love him so much and you know they're feeling guilt forever feeling bad and and they convey so much just by recording what is a real conversation but to make that possible behind the scenes the producers are kind of going, your talent might not always be as as kind of willing to share the story as, say, Fee and Trav, and you might end up, 
you're producing behind the scenes and it's a bit like if you've watched that show Unreal where somebody's good cop, somebody's good cop and somebody's bad cop while they're producing you're kind of going okay well I'm going into this knowing that for my episode I need this and this and this but wow where is that line so you can you can push people too far. You still need to be pretty respectful of other people's stories. And it depends on whether it's your story that you're telling or not as well, I would say. So in your sort of career, both as a podcaster and a podcast EP, like, what's the worst mistake you've ever made? Have you like turned down the podcast equivalent of Harry Potter or anything like that? No, there there are a few shows that I wished I could have made. But yeah, a few shows that I really liked, but because, you know, maybe I was choosing shows for ABC, that wasn't the right place for them to be made. And they probably went on and were made really well elsewhere. There's actually a new show out called One Guitar that I had, had a really early look at. And I was like, this is a great show, but ABC is not quite the right place for it. And they've taken that to Mushroom and it's, it's out now. It's kind of got Missy Higgins and all these other incredible Australian musos who take the guitar, perfect for pandemic times, write, write a song with it and then sort of send it on to the next amazing musician. So I'd love to have been involved in, in that, but I knew that it wasn't the right spot for it. The worst mistakes I, I would say I have made are when I just didn't know when to call it and when to go, okay, we've tried to get a format out of this. We thought we had a format. We thought we had a cast. Um, but we didn't. And I think I can probably talk in the masterclass cone about a show that I helped make um, at ABC called Out of the Loop. And you're right to have blank faces about this because I don't know if very many people ever heard it. But um, a good friend and I sort of were making this show with uh, – we, we, we cast for it for a long time. And the idea was – this was a few, a few years ago. The idea was to kind of have this – fun, informational sort of show, which was half a catch-up on the news, but half kind of maybe culture. And uh, I think the problem is that I can't even tell you in a sentence right now exactly what the show was, right? And this is like three years ago. All right, here we go. Do you constantly feel on a fast hamster wheel where you can't keep across all the news? Every day. You nod and pretend that you know all the trends Cause you don't want to look like a douche There's a place you can go to put you in the know It's the smart guide to getting the scoop It's the cheat's guide to life Cause you're just bloody out of the loop Welcome cheats Welcome to all of those too busy to get across the news stuff and things. This is Australia's number one talkback podcast. I think we're possibly the only talkback podcast, the place where you call us and say, uh, fill me in, please. I'm Monique Bowley and I'm joined as always by ABC news junkie and podcaster and broadcaster Josh Zepps. Number one. Number one. Number one. And this week we're also joined by comedian, broadcaster, writer and author Terry Siakis. Here's hoping I don't take you down. Here's hoping (laughs) that I'm not like the bad luck charm where suddenly people go, oh, actually, no, number two. If another podcast, if another talkback podcast launches this week and we get bumped to number two, we're going to be so angry at you, Terry. It's on you, Siakis. It's all my fault. Uh, Here's what you wanted to know this week. What exactly is the live export debate? Is it true that the CWA are at war and what over? 
and what is a penis facial and where do you get one? Wait, what? So I actually still don't know what a penis facial is. but <laughs> Look, I mean, I don't know if anyone does. And, and, like, I hasten to add that those are three really great professional broadcasters, but we, we just didn't quite get that show right. We were trying to make Fetch happen and we didn't really know what it was. Um, and we were trying to record it across sort of studios in three different cities. And the other thing was that I think maybe the ABC wasn't quite talking to each other enough at the time. So that kind of launched about the same time as The Signal and, uh, you know, something else was coming out over here. So we didn't really know whether it was like a weekly news show or whether it was a comedy. And we weren't really quite sure how much opinion there should be in it or even if ABC should be doing a show like that. So, yeah, I think we just kept trying to make it happen and not going, look, we've got to kill our darling here and go, it didn't quite work. So just sum everything up. Give us two top tips on turning your ideas into a podcast series. Tip number one is be able to explain the idea to a friend on the phone or if you walk past someone in a hallway, be able to say, this is what the show is and this is why it's so cool and different or this is why it's going to work. And the other thing I would say is, know what episode six is going to be. So if you are doing a show about the finance show for university students, know what all those episodes are going to be and how you're going to cover it. If you're looking at doing an investigative show, know exactly where the story is going to go. Plot it out, like really plot that thing out. And if you can't get past sort of like episode three, then what you might have is a documentary or an episode and not a series. Oh, such good advice, but harsh. (laughs) It is. I know. I'm so sorry. I am really, I have very sharp scissors. That was Rachel Fountain. The Masterclass is produced by Andy Hazel and myself and edited by Andy Hazel. The original concept is by Anders Furs. Our theme tune is by Susie Wilkins. And it's all brought to you by the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. Thank you.